1: You're listening to Irish Illustrated Insider. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated. Pete Sampson joins us as usual from The Athletic. It's Monday, February 27th. And Notre Dame search for an offensive line coach continues. Matt Luke, the uh, former, uh, among other places, Georgia offensive line coach, was in town, reportedly in town in uh, Notre Dame last weekend, or last week, rather, and... Um, Matt Luke will not be Notre Dame's offensive line coach. So the search continues a couple names at the top that we'll talk about here, but guys, your impression of um, Notre Dame's search for an offensive line coach, which, you know, I think we look at as there's not a tremendous sense of urgency to get it done immediately. Uh, But I know Marcus Freeman wants to, and I know know the fan base wants an offensive line coach in place.
0: Certainly immediate isn't an issue, but we're three weeks away from it. Being Sooner, the better.
1: Sooner the better. Sooner, Sooner the
0: better at this point. Um, I, I don't think a swing and a miss at, at Luke is, hurts Notre Dame in any way. I know that's the topic on the message board because swing and misses have been uh, the topic for Notre Dame's coaching search this offseason. Some guys have other things going on that they don't want to come out of retirement to go to Notre Dame, right? That, that, you can totally understand that. When I remember When I first saw something on our board from Tom saying this is a real thing, as opposed to how we talked about it being like a a nice idea, I was like, wow, is it really a real thing? I would have been very surprised had had that worked out. Um, I also want to go back to when they hired Harry Heastand and we talked to everybody we could possibly talk to about it in 2012, and there wasn't a nice word said about him from the Tennessee people, (laughs) writers, fans, or otherwise. It is very difficult to know the acumen Leaving recruiting completely out of it, of an assistant coaching hire in college football because your surroundings and your head coach and your program's health and stability is what sometimes makes an assistant coach a successful guy. Joe Rudolph has been successful for a while. He wasn't as successful at Virginia Tech as he was at Wisconsin, right?
1: Yeah, he walked into a bad situation at Virginia Tech. No, he walked into a great situation. I bet he'd be doing well. That proving your point because. Harry Heastand walked into a bad situation
0: at Tennessee. Had Harry Heastand gone to Tennessee in 1998, he'd have been an awfully good offensive line coach for Tennessee. Yeah,
2: right.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Pete, what do you think? I was I was
0: surprised that
2: uh, surprised and impressed that Marcus Freeman got Matt Luke up here at all. Yeah. Um, you know, our one of my colleagues at the Athletic, Seth Emerson, covers Georgia. Did a really interesting piece with Luke about a year ago about essentially why why he walked away from coaching at about. 44, 45 years old. Yeah, something like that. Um, you know, so he could go to his kids' little league games. He's got kids kind of like probably the same age as O'Malley and I do. Um, um, and to the point when I I texted my colleague Seth about, like, hey, I'm hearing about Luke. He's like, well, that would explain why I didn't see him at uh, little league practice today. Um, so I, because there's, there's no fit at all from like Matt Luke is from Mississippi, um, has coached in the South pretty much only, um, has all sorts of reasons. Well, two in particular is kids like to stay retired for a minute, um, and can afford to stay retired. Um, so the fact that he entertained it at all, I thought was actually kind of impressive, um, from Marcus Freeman's point of view, but, um, O'Malley's point stands with every assistant coaching hire of all time that we don't really know how good they are um, until they get here. And there are a million factors why they could be great or terrible um, that don't have very, that have very little to do with the actual assistant coach.
1: Um, Yeah, I I agree with that. And I I also think that swings and misses in, in coaching searches are publicized now, or they have been publicized by, by Irish illustrated in particular for better or for worse. And so we hear about swings and misses in searches that we wouldn't have heard about them in the past. I think that's part of it. To your guy's point, you know, I mean, like uh, an offensive line coach can only do so much. An example being uh, Joe Rudolph at Virginia tech this past year, that's a bad, that's a bad football team and a bad football program right now. And they were 113th in rushing offense. There's only so much a coach can do. And I think oftentimes we immediately run to the stats and say, okay, good stats, good coach, bad stats, bad coach. And it's just not quite that simple. Uh, programs go through lulls in certain areas. No program is at its best at every position all the time. That's just not, It's not, especially in football, it's just not possible and feasible. But two names that, that Tom Loy from 24-7 Sports still says, uh are at the top of Nordame's list one being Joe Rudolph at Virginia Tech who did great things at Wisconsin I will share some stats on that for, for uh, <laughs> <getting> <laughs> to
0: that. augment the 113th rating he will get right. better right
1: Well, not yeah not at not yeah. at Virginia Tech but certainly Wisconsin and Brian Callahan from Minnesota Minnesota is a is a ground oriented team yeah. uh, uh Ibrahim the running back Mohammed Ibrahim the running back has been great he had an injury a couple years ago that diminished their running game a little bit but we know what wisconsin did with braylon Allen in recent years uh 22nd in the country in 2021 in rushing offense jumping back to Callahan. minnesota was 16th in the country in rushing this past year 27th and 21 in 2021 and literally got better every year that brian Callahan uh has has been at minnesota so those are a couple names. Uh, I don't know how Clark Lee feels about this, but the Vanderbilt offensive line coach AJ Blazek is a is another guy that um, that is on Notre Dame's radar. Tom Lloyd put out a list a couple of weeks ago. You know, I would like to remind people that when when you don't when we put out a list and you don't hear or see updates from us, that it's because it's those same people, and we don't we can't always give you a blow by blow description of the process or who's flying in or when he's flying in. Although we do have people tracking the flight the flights of these guys uh oftentimes, which has become a a, a, a fun factor involved to see who's coming into Notre Dame. Jim,
0: Day. did you ever see the flight posted on our board that went from South Bend and landed in South Bend a few minutes <laughs> prior, a joke. that On, Gerard, the,
2: day Jared Parker on the day
0: Jared Parker was interviewing, it was, it was really well done. And I was so upset that I clicked on the link because it said something like new flight pattern to South Bend. And I immediately clicked on it to see who it was. And I realized I had been trolled greatly, but it was very funny. I was, I was proud of that
1: poster. It's, it's good stuff. And it's like, we understand the interest in it. We're trying to keep up with it, but. I hope people can realize that we can't, we can't always keep up a blow-by-blow a, a blow account of of what's happening, uh, because many times, not always, but many times, Notre Dame is trying to, to keep that under wraps, particularly when you have a situation like you do with the offensive coordinator of Utah that didn't that didn't work out. I mean, in, in the aftermath of those kind of things. Um, you can anticipate or expect Notre Dame to, you know, not be making things as as public when they move on to the next position.
2: Right. I mean, I think that between Rudolph and Callahan, both of them would be good just based on like they've come from run first offenses. Um, I mean, Callahan, I don't, I don't mean this flippantly like Quinn Carroll started all 13 games for them right tackle last year in a really productive rush offense. So, you know, that's he, Knows how to lean into the run game. Um, Chicago roots there. Uh, Rudolph cross-passed with uh, Marcus Freeman at Ohio State way back in the day. Um, Rudolph was a GA there, I think, at the end of Freeman's playing career. I mean, those are the names that I've told that it will be one of those two, barring something really unforeseen. But, um, you know, this isn't – with if Luke, you're sort of swimming upstream a little bit, you're trying to convince a person to make a life decision that um, kind of cuts against where they are professionally yeah. and personally, uh, Rudolph and Callahan should be like, all right, uh, do you need me there tomorrow? Okay. Like th- th- these hires should be much more straightforward. These are hires where like look, Notre Dame should be able to be like, we're freaking Notre Dame. Like, of course you're going to come here. Um, whereas Matt Luke, that was not the case. I'm
1: setting us all up for a fall yes. here,
2: Yes, no problem. Got another column coming. It's,
1: it's, it should be one of those two. You know, look, look at Rudolph again, you know, and, and this is where I say, I mean, he had Jonathan Taylor in, in 2018 for several years, but in 2018, Wisconsin averaged six point two yards per carry. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, they had a tremendous running back. And to Notre Dame's credit or to Notre Dame's advantage, they've got a bunch of good running backs right now too.
0: And it's also a situation I it's not a prerequisite, but it's close for me with with Parker, an offensive coordinator, it's, it's nice that Rudolph has been an offensive coordinator as well as a run We're game coordinator, nice. too. I just think bouncing we'll ideas off each other is is good at this point. No doubt. Yeah, I
2: mean, nice. that's why Luke was so exciting to me is just like he had not he'd only been he'd been an OC, but a, he'd been a head coach, too, um, like that really was going to check every single box imaginable. And I didn't even think the head coach was even a box that could be checked. With an offensive line coach, Rudolph but.
0: got to be an interim head coach, but that's never that fun for bowl games. That's not a uh, that's no. not the same thing. Yeah, ask Jared Parker how much uh, fun being an interim yeah. head coach. Can ask be. Brian Kelly. I think he did. Yes, yeah. he said it was weird too.
1: Late last week, Notre uh vice president and director of athletics Jack Swarbrick had a live chat with uh, Notre Dame representative Lou Nani. Um, I thought there was some good stuff in there. Uh, again, yeah. this is one of those tr- trying to convince. Uh, those that are uh, dead set against Jack Swarbrick and continuing at the University of Notre Dame probably didn't find anything good in there. I, based upon a couple threads, I, I, uh, I, I caught some opinions along those lines. But I thought he did say some good stuff about Marcus Freeman in particular. Um, he talked about how he saw the leadership that Marcus Freeman possesses after the Marshall game, how he handled things. Uh, he also made a, an interesting comment about what a direct communicator he is, and he said he's one of the most direct communicators that he's ever dealt with, which when you hear something like that, that's really important because you're talking to having been in a coach, coaching situation before, you are addressing your team every single day, and if you don't communicate it well, you're going to lose those players. Uh, so I thought that was those were a couple of the positives uh, that I heard. And, and Pete, you mentioned that uh, Notre Dame's F-U-N-D was brought up for yes. the publicly, which was interesting.
2: Yeah. And I believe sort of talking to some people like Notre Dame, Notre Dame, the university is in a much healthier spot with that today than they were three months ago. Um, and so that's, a, I think, a real positive for Marcus Freeman in the football program. I, w- I would not take the mention of that as just like something that just slipped in there. Um, I think Swarbrick was ready to say this is something Notre Dame alumni base donors get behind it like I'm I am endorsing this um and that is that's not insignificant um cuz
0: I think Notre Dame need, needed to get to this point um and now that now that they're here it's a real positive I thought uh Swarbrick bringing up that he's been a proponent of NIL for a long time was I was glad he brought it up. and Reiterated it because he, he was just not in the form that it is right now. He this is, I think, he said 2015. I think Irish Illustrated, Tim, you interviewed and maybe 17 or 18 on this. He's like, no, we are all, we are all for. Maybe it was 18, 19. No, we are all for you this.
1: Said it to me numerous times in yeah. interviews. Along no the way, one's
0: all. But... For, no one's really all for this right now, <laughs> which is the, which is the differentiator. Uh, but that's obviously. What's your what's your phrase Pete? toothpaste back in the tube? It's going to take a while to correct this. And right. Yeah. It's like you got to you can be all for the theory of NIL.
2: Right. But like you got to be all for the application in a way that Notre Dame is taking some time to get comfortable with. But I think that they have made some serious progress in getting comfortable with it. And I know the
0: NCAA screwed this up because they had 25 years to figure it out. But it is difficult. The application is a little bit is difficult. It It's very easy to hide. That you're not doing it the way nil would be intended. it is it's always going to be easy to hide that. It's a payment made for something, and the payments can now just be made for a charity event or something along those lines. It's you know what what when used to see charity events, it was like, oh, look at, that's cool they're they're doing that for charity. Now you'll see charity event, and my mind goes to I wonder who got paid for that charity event,
1: yeah, definitely. And you know, I mean, I think. I don't know what your perspective on this is, but, you know, I think that Marcus Freeman has kind of had to come to grips with NIL as well. I mean, what, what NIL does Sam Hartman get? What NIL does Caleb Smith get? What, you know, what about top recruits coming in in the next class? I mean, I think it's been a learning process for, for everybody there, Pete, I agree with you that it's further along. I know a lot of fans, want and i want Notre Dame to publicize the 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 crap out of NIL and so that you know people can uh contribute in their own way uh, but as you come to find out and I've found this out in and in, in recent interviews for for a project that nordame is always behind nordame is not nearly as behind as they once were but I mean they're behind and I and I know that there are questions about I'm going to step on a question from Murph 6556 About uh, nope, that's a different question. Uh, we did have questions about uh, the goog renovation. There's been no reports on the goog renovation because there's nothing for us to report on that. And I know a lot of people like hold Jack Swarbrick a- accountable for that. <laughs> Jack Swarbrick's not holding up the goog renovation, no. So, um,
0: if somebody says he is, Tim. In that moment, he is. That's all that matters. If you have well, a voice I, on I, Twitter I or realize. message, yep,
1: Look, I, I realize that. And that's fine. And everybody's entitled to their own opinion. Other things, uh, the NBC contract was was uh brought up. I thought it was interesting that Jack swarbrick said that they are happy that NBC is getting involved with other college teams. They think that's beneficial in our name. I agree with that, and uh, for those that want Nordame to join a conference in football. Swarbrick said that uh, it's never been better for Notre Dame to be an independent now, which was not a concept. As we started to hear about con- conference expansions uh, or conferences uh, expanding, uh, the the initial reaction was Notre Dame's independence was at risk, and that's not the case anymore.
2: I I mean, doesn't it feel like he? It's never been better for Notre Dame to be independent. Every time Jack Swarbrick talks about independence, that's
1: that's that's a valid point. That's a valid um, point.
2: And I, like, I would say in some ways, I totally agree with them that in terms of access to the playoff home for Olympic sports um, broadcast partner, I, it is, it's true. It's never been a better time to be independent than right now. However, which was also noted by Sorbrick, from a revenue point of view, it's actually, I think as bad as it's been um, because of what's happening with the big 10 and the sec. Um, And if you sort of, Followed late last week, comments from the Clemson AD and the Florida State AD about like, look, we can't keep up with these other two conferences right now as is. Um, If Notre Dame's still in a spot where they're making less off media rights by being independent than they would be as a full member of the ACC, and yet ADs who are full members of the ACC are hitting the panic button big time about... The fact that they can't keep up with the SEC and the Big Ten in terms of revenues, that's that's the next big challenge. I think. Well, one of many big challenges for Shorebreak with the state of college athletics, but the revenue gap, I think, is going to become more and more acute. In a lot of ways, I think that makes Notre Dame's independence um, not as good as it's ever been uh, from a revenue point of view.
1: He brought that he brought that up because the NBC contract is up in twenty twenty five, and he flat out said. That they need to be able to—I don't know if you said the money, that, Show me the money, that, NBC. Exactly. I mean, and he mentioned the SEC and Big Ten, so that's on the negotiating table for Notre Dame with NBC in 2025. Um, there's no doubt about, and that, and to me that ties into him saying he's pleased that NBC is is pursuing other college football broadcasts yeah, because for sure that's how that that's how that. That's how NBC ends up coming with the money that Nordic feels it needs in the contract.
0: And really, it's just the word never doesn't need to be used, because when we had an interview with Jack Swarbrick in 2013-ish, when they signed the 12-year playoff deal, and he said there has never been a better time, we're safe for 14 years as independent, that was technically a much better time than right now. So that was never, that was the best time. (laughs) That was was by far the best time. They didn't have, none of these other concerns had yet arisen in these last 10 years. Yeah.
1: Anything else from that uh, that live chat, guys, that you want to mention? If not?
0: I just want to reiterate, I, I agree, though. I like the Marcus Freeman part about how he handled Marshall, and I'm glad they have kind of <laughs> come around to not saying, like, oh, it was a lot. It was such a seismic, incredible loss for the beginning of the Marcus Freeman era. It was sho- It was shocking to lose that game. I don't know when – well, I know when. When Buckner threw the interception touchdown. When everybody in the press box realized – yeah, they're playing terrible, boy, they're not as good as we thought, but obviously they're going to win this game. And then it was, they are obviously not going to win this game. And right. that was a, it, it really could have gone poorly. Um, And I guess it almost did for a quarter against Cal, but right. that wasn't from Marcus it, Freeman's coaching. It got better. It did on a night against Stanford too, but I think that. Uh, I don't think it was relevant to the the, the mood of the situation though. They had, they no, had re- won three straight. Just,
2: It just fits in with like Marcus Freeman as a communicator. Like Tim, I think you and I both did something with Jared Patterson and I spent a lot of time talking to Jared about Freeman after the Stanford game and just like how he realized he needed to be even a better communicator than he was. Like, remember how the message changed every week? We sort of joked about that in September. Uh, And at that point, Freeman was like, no, screw this. It's, it's execution all the time. That's it. This is our only message of the rest of the year. And the players were like, all right, we got it. Um, that was a example of clear communication from Freeman and learning how to be a clear communicator. So I think Swarbrick's uh, observation is probably there right on because after Marshall, that was a everything was up for grabs, it felt like, at that moment.
0: Pete, are you saying, what I think you're saying, that Marcus Freeman became a better coach than the day he was hired as his first season went on? And he might I get mean, better as seasons good- go on? Good God. I don't know how many times I have to say
2: this. Like if you're hiring a first time head coach, you need to have a real growth mindset and give him space to grow, um, which to note, and I've said this at alumni events, I've actually been really impressed with the fan base in terms of how they've given Marcus Freeman room to grow as a head well, coach. They really like him. They really like yeah, him. Yeah. They really like him. That helps. But um, yeah, I think you get, you get Notre Dame gave him room to grow and he took advantage of it. Um, and so he's a much better head coach today than he was at this time of year ago. That's, and that's really good news for Northern football.
1: That's my message at similar events too, Pete And like, you know, how did he get better? He, he learned, he's a great learner. I think he's a great learner. Now the Stanford game, that still shouldn't have happened, but he still right. had some, he still had some learning to do yeah. at that point. And that's he'll, have I, a,
0: he'll have a Stanford game this year or in four years sure, after I'm they've sure. won a playoff hopefully,
1: game. But hopefully you have a Stanford game and you pull out the win. which is what Brian Kelly always did.
0: I guess my point is Lou Holtz had a Stanford game. He had two of them, but one was a good team. But look, Lou Holtz was a national championship coach and he had a Stanford game. It's going to happen.
1: Yeah, segment two, burning up the boards coming up.
2: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
0: Segment two, burning up the boards. Our first question comes from Jim FKY. Any issue with the fact Coach Freeman ended up with his third choice offensive coordinator and appears to have missed on his first choice offensive line coach? Is it normal, or does it show something needs to be adjusted with identifying and courting prospects the next time coaches are hired?
1: You know, again, I think it goes back to what we said in segment one that a lot of this stuff is publicized. We're in the past; it wasn't. We didn't know who was the first choice. You know, I mean, I'm sure Matt Luke was the first choice, but the fact that he came in first doesn't necessarily mean that. That that, that, it's not proven by that. It's probably true, Um, but I don't know. I hate to bring up the fact that. Nick Saban took three swings before he got his offensive coordinator because, you know, the dynamic there is is a lot different. There's some uh, other things going much different than Notre Dame's, of course. Uh, but I don't get too worked up about that because I've been covering Notre Dame for 41 years, and I know that there have been a lot of prospects that nobody ever heard about, the Notre Dame interview, that they didn't get and nobody knows.
0: I also think the Ludwig and Luke situations are far different. They're not. Luke Luke isn't staying. Well, he Luke is staying, but he's staying not coaching. They're well, just they're just completely different yes. situations there. I think they're uh, if they if they happen a year apart, nobody would even notice that they happen a year apart. But they happen two weeks apart and are and are related in that they needed an offensive coordinator and offensive line coach for the same reason. It was Tommy Reese leaving. Really, Tommy Reese created this, and everybody can blame him for more things now if they'd like to. Yeah, it's I think the the offensive line
2: part is different from the offensive coordinator part. Um, you know, the offensive coordinator part, that's much more of a leadership position. Um, I think that the public nature of that was not ideal, but um I got a question in my mailbag about like the the his guys, like Freeman hiring his guys. And I actually think that it's the opposite. Like, I think if you're bringing in Colin Klein and Andy Ludwig, that shows a really good self-awareness of like, I I want to not be the smartest guy in the room. Like I'm looking for... New ways of doing things. Enhancement is for one of Freeman's big buzzwords. But, you know, again, it's you know, when you're hiring these coaches, we don't really know who they are, how they'll fit. Um, I can guarantee you if Notre Dame had an opening for a linebackers coach and they hired Robert Bala, who was at Liberty in Southern Utah, that we would be freaking out about it. Um, but because Nick Saban hired Robert Bala, who was at Liberty in Southern Utah, they probably won't. Um, so it's like every program in the country doesn't get their first pick of every coach and the world keeps spinning just fine. Yeah.
1: I I object. I object to the whole, his guys thing. And I, I wrote about this. I think it was in a lead of a, maybe Thursday thoughts or something. Um, yeah, you work with people, you learn how to trust them. You know, they have your back. That's those are business relationships, uh, to, to just. Go pick guys that you have never worked with. Yeah, it's it's certainly good to infuse new ideas, but I don't think there's a coach in the country that would turn his back on people that he's worked with and found. You know what? He was good. I like the way he communicated with the players. I like the way I was able to deal with him. I could coach my coach tough or whatever. Um. So and I and I agree with you, Pete. I mean, I I think that the offensive coordinator pursuit. Was uh, was indicative of the fact that Marcus Freeman's open minded, and if it involves a guy that he's worked with before, great. If not, if there's somebody else better than than him, then he'll go in that direction. I don't read too much into that kind of stuff because, I mean, who who in business doesn't cultivate relationships from the past and tap back
2: into those?
0: I think it stems from Brian Kelly hiring guys he knew and people true. still remembering.
1: Yeah, Gordon yeah. yeah. like know.
2: Brian Kelly would tell you that was there was a staleness about that Um, Marcus Freeman, like is a new idea unto himself. Like, I don't know if he needs new ideas on top of himself being a new idea at this point.
1: Yeah. Brian Van Gorder is an example of tapping into a previous relationship that he should have known wasn't going to fit at Notre Dame. So point taken, Tim, I'm glad you brought that up. BK took it too far at times. And I can, and I certainly understand that. Question from uh, Sj matt 4 who on the new offensive staff will have the most input on the design of the run game, with Jared Parker being mostly a wide receiver, tight end coach, and Harry gone, it seems like there's a bit of a void to be filled in the run game scheme.
0: We touched on it briefly, as long as it's Rudolph or Callahan, there's um, experience there coordinating run games or coordinating offense or both, and then Dila McCullough is also going to be heavily involved in that, I think. I think he was involved with it last year, but he's going to be more so now because he lost the two um, focal points of that in he stand and Reese. Yeah. I'd, Rudolph or Callahan would be fine
2: um, in terms of a, kind of a run game influence there. So I'm, I don't really have a whole lot of concern about uh, Notre Dame's ability to be creative or lean into the run game. When the head coach says we're going to be a run first offense.
1: Yeah. Uh, SJ Matt 04. there's There's a void. All right. They don't have an offensive line coach <laughs> right now, but Um, you know that the the two guys that you mentioned, gosh, we are really we're we're emphasizing these two guys, and you know we're going to get burned by it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, there, I to the point to the point of this particular question, they are run game coordinators and have offensive coordinating experience. No doubt,
1: no doubt about it. Question from Sports Fifty Five Enjoyer: What are you guys hearing about the early entry freshmen? I don't. I just threw this in here, guys. I. Caught a little bit wind of stuff, but
2: I was gonna say like we we missed a chance to uh, commiserate with some of your subscribers about Preston Zenter learning all three linebacker positions because there was more important things going on with Notre Dame football.
0: did you know did you see Pete? I'm not probably not enough because things were going on at this time that Clark Lee uh, in two thousand and nineteen also mentioned I got to teach all three linebackers all three <laughs> linebacker positions because that's how you get through winter conditioning and spring and then you figure things out. Yeah, also, when the guy's like not going to play for a couple years. Well, I was also going to point out when someone says I'm learning all three positions, that means he's probably <laughs> not starting in the fall. Right. Or playing. Right. So <laughs> you, you teach fresh with that because you're not expecting them out there.
2: I haven't heard anything about Christian Gray other than talking to Christian Gray. But as I told O'Malley as we were walking out, like, man, that look, guy looks like he, tra- he he's a junior who transferred here from LSU. And I That's mean, that as a high compliment.
1: Yeah, that's one of the guys I heard positive things about. Yeah. So tying in good with God. that, I mean, that's that's not a surprise. I think Jay Nosberry as well is somebody that he, I mean, I, I think as a player, he impressed a lot of people. I think as an interview, Tim, right, you and I were yeah. both there. Uh, impressive and in interviews are one thing, performance on the field are another, another. But many times uh, a, a guy that can can talk a good game and handle himself means he's mature and a little bit better prepared to perform on the field not that I I was
0: yeah I totally agree with you but I was very I was very high on Osbury in our um, ratings so I like to now step back from that and try to re-rank him by what my impressions of him are when I see him on the field um, but my impressions off the field did not in any way mitigate my rankings of him on film I, I think he's got a great football head on his shoulders and just as important he is uh seems like an intelligent person off the field where he also knows what he has to work on. He talked about all the things he has to work on. He said, you know, I like quarterback and a defense, but there's a lot of things you got to know at Rover. And then he immediately switched to Mike linebacker and talked about how much he likes Mike linebacker. Cause I think he has a, he probably has a preference.
1: Right. And I don't think anything that Kenny Minchie has done since he's gotten here in Notre Dame has dissuaded anybody from being excited about what he brings to the quarterback position moving forward as well. We haven't had, we have yet to talk to the, the uh the offensive early entries or Sam Hartman uh, and Caleb Smith that we're all looking forward to maybe this Friday. You, you think when it's about, I don't think
0: they need the offensive line coach as much as they need to officially need in the quarterback's coach, the quarterback's please, coach because yeah. we're talking to Hartman, yeah.
1: Which is which I mean unless you guys I, have heard something different, it's gonna be Gino Gadule
0: came
2: up in Jared Parker's introductory press conference. Yeah, he did. It was an accident though.
0: <laughs> it was definitely an accident.
1: I don't know what's what's Taking so much time there, but it is what it is, and 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 moving forward, we expect him to be the uh, the, the quarterbacks coach.
0: Next question from Murph sixty five fifty six. Any names you've heard mentioned for the new general manager position?
1: Pete, have you heard any names mentioned for the new general manager's position? No. I just no. wanted to throw that question there. We haven't either, and again, this is another one of those things that you know I, I don't think that Nordame wants this to be a public search for that
0: that well, this one doesn't need to be at all.
1: No, it does it do, Yeah, it doesn't. Um,
0: what? All right. Let me let me, sw- let me switch this question. What are you guys looking for in this general manager position as you understand the position to ent- what it entails?
2: I, I would really like to dig into more of what other schools do with this. There are a ton of schools that have gone the general manager route, but some have, I have not started digging into it. Um, I guess I'm, I'm struggling a little bit off the top to understand, like, how is this different than the positions they've already had on staff, whether it be Dave Poloqua and Hunter Biven, Ron Paulus, um, you know, Chad Bowden, um, you know, they, they have an ops. Jeez, oh, I'm blanking on her name. She's outstanding. Olivia Mitchell. Um, like, is it just a combination of those jobs? Is it something to tie all those together? And like, if they weren't, like, I don't understand why they weren't tied together before. So I'm, I'm sort of naive to maybe what the job entails that's different from what was already being done in the first place.
1: Yeah. Now, I, I, you know, we're kind of guessing at this too, but I mean, just uh, at face value, it's somebody with a well rounded background that's been exposed to.
0: Yeah. It sounds like a
2: a scouting development or scouting element to it in a way that maybe an ops person wouldn't have.
0: Yeah. That's how I feel. I don't believe ops is intended to be involved right now. I'm sure this position will evolve, but I mean, Bill Reese isn't there now. So the transfer portal and film and scouting departments are more important than ever to all football programs. And especially Notre Dame, when you have a smaller window of people to bring in, I think it's going to be somebody that can identify a fit and can identify a fit on the field too, because that's, it's got to, it's crucial that Notre Dame augments its transfer portal presence.
1: Yeah, that's why I I think it this is more of a a football position.
0: That's how I feel. To,
1: yeah. I mean, as opposed yeah, to an opposite mentioned, Pete. I mean, a football related background, yeah. uh, recognizing talent, exposure to ideas and systems, et cetera, et cetera. But again, we're kind of we're kind of guessing. So we'll let you know when yeah. we know. Question from Mac 341. Tim, did you want to add to that?
0: No, no. That's, that That was my point. I think it's I'm not strictly football because there's nothing that can be off the field that's strictly football anymore. But it it's it's just hugely important that the transfer yeah. portal and the ability to find talent is involved in this. Totally
1: agree with that. Mac 341. Do you anticipate any other coaches leaving for other opportunities? Is that door closed? That's my never question. It never closes, it but um,
0: I don't anticipate it. O'Malley, you're the authority on this. I if am authority on this, or, and actually so. three different people asked me at a basketball tournament this weekend if they thought Dylan McCullough would be leaving, so <laughs> I will just go ahead and say that name. Um, obviously, Dylan McCullough is a guy that I think all of us believe someday will coach again in the NFL. Um, I actually am putting this in Monday Musings, not to step on it. I, as a business decision, separate from anything going on in your lives or family, things we have no scope on or don't have a great scope on, if I had the two tackles I have coming back, the running backs I have and Sam Hartman, I think I could augment my situation in 11 months where there are more opportunities for me in the NFL than the minimal opportunities available right now. And I would make a business decision to be Notre Dame's running backs coach this year. I think it'd be,
2: it's a, it's a good option to stay. Um, You know, if a better one comes along to leave, then a better one comes along to leave, Um, you know, the family situation with his kids off at Oklahoma. Now there's probably a little less rooting him to the Midwest, but. He does have he does have a, um, uh, a, a younger child, child younger child yeah, too yeah you know coaches move around all the time but i'm saying like i always thought coaches were reluctant to move when their kids were in high school cuz that's just a harder thing to do yeah. yeah. Um, and now that they're not maybe he's a little bit more open to it but um yeah that'd be the
0: one like all these coaches are going to leave at some point um, <laughs> Yes, that, that is we should just keep reiterating that so you know what no, i'm not going to say anything about transfers go ahead we're fine
2: No, that's it. I just hopefully this this staff will stay together at this point, and they'll add an offensive line coach.
1: Seems like the odds are in their favor, as always. A a lot of post NFL uh, movement in coaching staffs, and so you know some of some of those positions are still open, but but we'll see. As of now, it seems to be trending towards uh, no no more position uh, coaching changes. Tim.
0: Priester, I don't know if you want to have a line of questioning, but it seems like Pete's line of questioning next time we interview new offensive or new uh, coaching staff members will be. So we know you're going to leave someday. Do you have any idea what your next (laughs) prospects are? And I'm going to interview every quarterback that comes in and says, so if you don't start, are you transferring in a couple of years? That's my, that's how I'm going to start things (laughs) off. That's
1: that's where we are trending. Definitely. Question for Murph JD. Do you guys believe the four, two, five or the three, three, five is the right base defense? um considering
0: the the personnel that Nordheim has this is a tough one because you're also not i mean you you have to prioritize 2023 of course but i don't like a 335 nose tackle at the point with the personnel they have i feel like the 425 fits a little better um i think you can get more from more players in a four, two, five, if you're Notre Dame, but I don't think they're going to, I don't, that's more of a stopgap effort for me. And if Marcus Freeman thinks that's 10% better, I could see him moving on to what he would want in the future. I'm not a huge fan
2: of the three, three, five, um, based on the personnel Notre Dame has, and just based on the defense in general, um, <laughs> I feel the same way about both of those. So, I mean, for, when people say four, two, five, I'm still of the mindset of like wasn't that just nickel um and if you have three really good corners like if you have Sean Crawford or Tariq Bracey as a senior the 425 is fine um i'd rather not Dame play a 425 than a 335 how about that
1: i mean teams are tim you know you track this i mean the percentage of nickel played
0: yeah it's the, it was a starting position that, last year but yeah, that's why I jack mean, kaiser didn't play much
1: right uh you know i mean that is a I'm a believer. I've said this before many times, you know, but as a, as an older generation guy, I, you know, I like a four man front. I feel better about defending the run that way. Uh, the You know, the whole five DBs the, you know, the, the, the fifth guy many times is a, a smaller version of a linebacker. That's quick enough to defend a, a, a pass receiving threat. So I, I look, there needs to be a combination of all these things. And I think Marcus Freeman, is leaning towards using more three, three, five, but that's a situational thing. As long as you can hold up against the run. Yeah. I mean, that, to me, that's the bottom line.
0: Yeah. I think the three, three, five allows for people to get more mad during the game on TV when they're watching the game.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah I mean, I, as soon as those words came out of my mouth, I mean, you see, you have to defend the pass. It's a it's yes, a <laughs> game now. And so, uh, you know, yeah. Okay. You defend the run and you get hammered in the, in the passing game. It's, it's tricky. Offenses are so much more complex. I've been having conversations about this recently. I mean, so much more complex than they used to be when you could just line up and fi- Lou Holtz lined up and physically beat the crap out of people. You just can't do that
2: now.
0: No, not for 80,
2: not for 70 plays. That's no. not, not when your offensive coordinator is already talking about hats in the box. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, I almost you know, beat. I, I couldn't catch your eye because I was behind you uh, during the press conference. But when he mentioned that, I was like, triggered. Here we go. Here, I he was triggered in the front row. The there.
1: coordinator can't ever be conscious of how many hats are in the box. Is that what you're, you're trying just to say? Try? not when
0: Pete and I are in the room. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's a huge problem.
2: <laughs> just uh, helmets in a confined area would have meant something completely you different. Want yes, you, can, you want a different scandal.
1: term. That's yeah, uh, a different term. term.
2: Can't, you know, I can't hear hats in the box. All right. <laughs>
1: Tim, ask the next question. Moby Onion.
0: Oh, From um, Moby Onion, which is a great name. Who rejected Skip Holtz's application for the OC job? Swarbrick, Freeman, or both? And I would like to add to this question. Is this a 2010 uh, podcast question that popped up in our thread, Tim? Is that no, what's going on? No, right? no. Okay. no just that's what I was going to
1: ask, Pete. Are you aware that Skip Holtz expressed interest in being the offensive coordinator? I have not. Yes, he did. Um, just won a... Did he win a USFL title last year with Birmingham?
0: He could have.
2: I don't know. Is that the league where Jack Cohn threw a touchdown pass to Alize Mack? No,
1: that's the XFL.
2: Oh, okay. Sorry.
1: Okay. But I do know that Skip Holtz um, did express an interest in the offensive coordinator's job. Um, that request was received. And Jared Parker is the offensive coordinator at of Notre Dame. I mean, I don't yeah. know. You know, I, I think that Ron, you know, Ron Paulus was involved in the in the uh, the process as well. Uh, Moby Onion limited it to Swarwick and Freeman. Paulus had some input. Uh, I don't know of anybody that was clamoring for Skip Holtz to to come back to be Notre Dame's uh, offensive coordinator, but he did express
0: an interest in it. Next is from Ace Mange regarding Sam Hartman in the wide receiver course stretching the field and yards after catch did Hartman have a specific route he tended to throw it more than others? If so, how does that fit with the wide receiver group currently set to play this fall and their route running strengths?
1: We talked about this on a podcast quite a while ago, and one of the things that I was in particular impressed with with Hartman was his back shoulder throws, which I think is a great match for Notre Dame's size. That's Back shoulder throws are difficult to defend. You have a little bit more size of receiver. I think it makes it even that much more difficult to uh, defend because the catch radius is greater and the corner now has to you know, put on the brakes and make a play on a guy that's six foot four. So, um, you know, he'll throw the deep ball too. I think we've all talked about how we desire an opportunity to have a quarterback that can stretch the field with a quality running game to match it. I think there are big things in uh, big opportunities for Dame you know, offensively with those components.
0: You're saying if Stanford puts an extra hat in the box, Sam Hartman can make them pay down the field, right?
1: Yeah. And that's yeah, been, that's good. That, yeah, that was the big, that's, it the was. I mean, that <laughs> it in was. and of itself is a huge difference from last year.
0: As flippant as I was being with hats in the box. That was a pretty big F. That was a pretty big aspect of that contest. They could not make them pay. Um, I put a chart up, did a story last week. On a great podcast question we didn't use, and I'm glad we didn't use it because it only took me three days to research every single pass Notre Dame threw last year. I uh, put a story up about how Notre Dame didn't throw enough passes into the end zone. I thought it was a tremendous question because I hadn't thought about it. But as soon as I read the question, I thought, he's right. They do not attack the end zone enough. It was 32 passes went into the end zone, and then there were 30 opportunities where they had a first down on in plus territory around the 50 where they never once attacked the end zone. Now, a couple of those times, you ran three times ahead to punt or something, but that still goes to the lack of attack. Part of it is Drew Pine is not a guy attacking the end zone from the 45, but Sam Hartman is. I found something weird, though, looking through Sam Hartman's chart. He threw screens. This is just obviously an offensive coordinator thing, I hope. 4% of the time last year. 4 percent of the time so when people got mad at Notre Dame for not throwing enough screens and there's were they were 19 percent of the time wow
2: <laughs> not 19%. part of Wake Forest not,
0: wait not part of Wake Forest offense obviously uh but I assume Sam Hartman can make those off-schedule throws that get uh screens but anyway you were asking for passes he loves to throw screens are something he didn't throw last year and he did attack the deep middle um or, I'm sorry the intermediate middle 16.3% of his throws were intermediate middle. I have to check Notre Dame, but that feels high. Part of it is because you don't trust your quarterback to throw the intermediate middle throw. Um, Whereas if you had Jimmy Clausen, you do trust him to throw the intermediate right. middle throw outside the numbers
2: on the sidelines. Like right. Right. Should be, should be a banner year for either Tobias Merriweather, or Deion Colsey, maybe both of them outside, the but
0: numbers. it's great that he can do both Pete, Cause we agree on outside the numbers for those guys, but that means he can also throw inside. That's that's, it looks like he has a good. T-
2: <laughs> you're presenting one of our hilarious false choices here, O'Malley. Like you can do both. Like this is Notre Dame. You should have a quarterback who can throw outside the numbers and over the
1: middle. Yeah, I think Sam Hartman can make pretty much all the throws
2: that you want. Yeah, him to make. He doesn't There's have a- 13,000 career passing yards and 110 touchdowns would suggest yeah. that, right?
1: Yeah, it would suggest that. And I don't, you know, I don't know that he's got a cannon for an arm. But like, as I, the phrase I use, he's got a long arm. Where he can, you know, he can stretch. He can stretch it out. Whether he's going to rifle it to people, uh, the way some bigger quarterbacks can, I don't know about that. But he's going to give Notre Dame a lot to uh, a lot to work with. Uh, offensively. Hey, Sam, I
0: wanted I wanted to double check because Pete looked surprised, and I was a little off. He threw uh, Notre Dame through screens seventeen percent of the time, not nineteen, okay. but it's still still pretty high. It's still high. But this me. is really this is really funny. Sam Hartman threw um, behind the line of scrimmage, left or right, on one point two percent of his passes. <laughs> And Drew Pine threw behind the line of scrimmage left or right on five point one percent of his passes. That's a big difference, actually. When you're thinking I'm surprised it's only five point one percent. Well, I think behind the line is different than your zero to five or behind the line, Pete. That you oh track no, I tracked
2: both of those. Like okay. I just I just feel like I remember Drew Pine throwing well, actually no, five percent does seem a little yeah. lot.
1: Question uh, follow up on Sam Hartman here from CMU Pence When you finally get a chance. To talk to Sam Hartman, what is the question each of you wants to ask him? See, that's a good question. That's why CME Pence fan gets so much play. I, <laughs> yep. I swear to God, I don't, I don't know him. I don't have it. I just read the question. I think he asks a lot of good ones. Well done,
0: him. You should never apologize for questions you choose. You should not ask the podcasters what questions you should choose either, because you're in charge. Always remember that. I'm going to work that into every podcast we get.
1: I'm in charge. I'm the. I'm uh, the. Coordinator
0: here. The, Do you have a question uh, for Sam Harmon?
2: Um, I would say to paraphrase your head coach, um, it's never the same on the back end as you imagine on the front end. Your Notre Dame career so far. How have you been able to process the fact that the guy recruited you left after you got here? Um, and you might not be playing in the offense you thought you were going to be playing in. As a business decision to come to Notre Dame in the first place, and that does how much does that affect your outlook on uh, spring practice and the
0: season? I'm going to ask him his body fat percentage.
1: Yeah. Any particular reason, Tim?
0: <laughs> uh, only if you read has has everywhere. Been- sar- oh, sarcasm, you- sar- sarcasm on my part yes, Sorry, I that's not, not a-
1: part of a, a long list of yeah. innate questions. Do you like, do you like
2: gladiator that. movies?
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay. My question. <laughs> He threw a lot, I mean, he threw a lot of passes. He threw a bunch of interceptions. I mean, one every 38 passes, which, you know, you don't expect to see that number when you hear he's thrown for almost 13,110 touchdowns. So I want to know the reasons behind that, because I feel, look, he was a quarterback at Wake Forest. A, he had to score. They had to score, man. He had to push the ball down the field and B, he had to do something to compensate for that lousy defense because he knew that the opponent was going to score high 30s, 40s. So I'm curious as to how that played into some of the, the the turnovers that were forced because he had to do some spectacular things in order for Wake Forest to win 11 games in the season for the second time in school history in 2021.
0: I think those are both better questions than mine, but I do have a relevant one for Sam Hartman is, uh, his adjustment from the slow mesh play action, focus out of the slow mesh. That's a good one. You, I mean, you watch Sam Hartman on film and you see the slow mesh, he hits a lot of deep balls back shoulder stuff off of that. I just like to see how he kind of, what his, if it was part of his interview process, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to go find the slow mesh. If you're Sam Hartman, right. If you're trying to, if you're leaving Wake forest, um, but boy, he has a highlight reel full of beautiful one-on-one passes out of that and what what the next step is to keep that in his arsenal, to play action pass. I just
1: don't, I don't feel that that's a huge adjustment for him. I know that that I, you know, I know that they're one of the few teams that do that, but look, he's a veteran football player and it's just a, it's just a read and go. I, I think he's perfectly capable. Maybe Nordane wants to use it. Maybe Jer- Jer- Jared Parker. I almost said that. Maybe Jared Parker um wants to use that. I
2: I I doubt it. I doubt It's it. just a play action pass, right? Like Yeah, we, well, yeah it,
0: it's it's I think the his ability to freeze the safety for that extra. It's I, I put this on our board. I think the time on a play action pass, the, the, the it's 0. 0.8 seconds and the slow mesh is something like 1.9. You are freezing a safety longer. I just want to I just want to ask him about it. I want to ask him about the slow mesh, what he liked about it and what he obviously wanted to get away from when he left the slow mesh. <laughs> Kim, ask the next
1: question, because I'm going to insert
0: one more before we we bow out here today. W. Jason P., is the list for prospective basketball coaches still the same? Have you revised it? I only asked because there was a little smoke around Moser.
1: I don't think Moser's not happening because, I mean, he's only been in Oklahoma for a couple of years. They're moving to the SEC. He's moving from the best conference to the second best conference probably right now in basketball, in college basketball. Both very good basketball conferences right now. I don't see uh, Moser coming to Notre Dame. Now the list is Jack Swarbrick addressed it the other day. I mean, they're talking to agents right now, and it, our list still includes the Penn State head coach Charleston Drake. There were some other people on that list until we have some names that that indicate otherwise. Those are the ones. Now, do you? Soon should, we should be hearing. Soon, more about this as we get into March, because regular seasons will be ending.
2: I have not tracked your list on a daily basis, but, like, do you have Matt Langle on there from Colgate? We do not, but i'm okay. I'm aware of I'm aware of him, and I know that
1: he's a very good coach. There's some others out there, and I'm not sure I haven't double checked with Notre Dame recently because we've been a little busy on a few other things, just like the Google renovations. no, we haven't checked on the Google renovations lately, but uh, and and I still don't believe that that's preventing Nordame from getting to the next level, but it is something that, that will need to be addressed. Tim, I, I mean, I don't know. Do you have a.
0: No, I talked to, um, in the, in I talked, the, talked to a couple of colleagues about it walking out recently and. Uh, it's a difficult situation for Notre Dame. Um, it, I mean, it was, it was hugely important that he resigned ahead of time because it took a cloud away and it made for a much more pleasant atmosphere surrounding Mike Bray in his last couple of weeks here at Notre Dame. But you know, your target is, thinking about the list, 85% guys that are going to be hopefully making a noise of at least one Thursday or Friday in March. It's a difficult thing to narrow down this. Now I expect a lot of momentum by late March, not mid-April, late March.
1: Uh, Yeah, I would agree. Because at that point, the guys that you're chasing aren't aren't playing basketball anymore. And again, it's not, it's like this, this search is not lying dormant. It's, 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 I mean, it's, and you don't, you know, conversations directly with coaches anyway, that. It's the agents that you're dealing with. And so that line of communication is open. When we have other names to throw out there, we certainly will. If we don't, that generally means that we're still working off the last list that, that we published. My last uh, question here is from Irish Boy. It's claimed that, and I'm sorry, I'm pulling, surprising you guys with this one here, but Irish Boy asked, uh, it's claimed that the Nordam administration is satisfied with sports mediocrity. What are your thoughts on that?
0: It's claimed. Uh, go ahead, Pete. It's claimed where? Just yeah. by,
1: yeah. Who claimed it?
2: Uh,
0: sorry to put did. this back on your Irish they, boy, but I need know did. who claimed they it.
1: They did. They.
0: They. Oh, okay, they.
2: Yeah. The mysterious yeah. they. Um, man, Notre Dame spends a lot of money on athletics if they're satisfied with mediocrity.
1: Really? You know, I, I there is a number, and it's actually their budget is, I believe, well over a hundred million dollars a year.
2: Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, look. Uh, women's basketball just won the ACC over the weekend. Um, you know, I, I do, I'll be interested to sort of see how much they invest in men's basketball. Um, you know, I think that's been a, Mike Bray would probably tell you they don't invest enough. Um, and I'm not sure I would disagree with them either, but, uh, I think football they're not satisfied with mediocrity, um nor are they investing in a way that would suggest they're satisfied with mediocrity. They spend a ton of money on football um so no i wouldn't I wouldn't say that nor name is uh, athletics is satisfied with mediocrity at all based on everything,
0: yeah, you know that's why I've always been surprised they seem satisfied with what they had in football or in basketball, men's basketball, not mediocrity, but status quo. Hey, look, we made a run. Well, we made the NCAA tournament. That was great. Oh, it's okay. He'll get it. He'll turn it around. He's a good coach. Like these things don't seem to present as much in other sports. I've long been surprised at Notre Dame's lack of championship mindset in men's college basketball. However, speaking with people at Notre Dame, Mike Bray, everybody else, it is very hard to be, and right now I'm going to have. I know all these people are about to screen Gonzaga and Villanova and everything. I get it, I get it, I get it. It is very hard to be Notre Dame in recruiting in the transfer portal and compete for national championship in basketball. And my evidence of that is the last 40 years.
1: Uh, yeah, and I think I think that's I think that's strong proof. And I and I agree with you. But I also think that Notre Dame. I hesitate to use the word realistic, but has somewhat of a realistic attitude toward men's basketball, that it's going to be difficult for them to be a national power. I'm not saying Notre Dame fans should accept that. I get that. And I know that this question is probably main, mainly asked about basketball and football in particular. Um, you know, but I do, I just, when you say sports mediocrity, Notre Dame was fourth in the uh, winter sports and the director's cup, they were, They had the top men's, the the Capital One top men's athletic programs in 2021. Uh last year in the directors' cup overall, they finished eighth. So I I realize that the the question is asked more about basketball and football. It's not it's not it's not true about football. You know, I I, it's just it's it's not. not.
0: Let's go back. Let's be fair. One year ago, before everybody hated Jack Swarbrick the most because of his email in the in the Ludwig bio, Notre Dame lost a coach that was um it was a 64 and 9, right? In those 50, 54 and 9. Four and nine. And they went to a coach in Marcus Freeman that they decided they were trying to shoot for the stars and tried to get better than 54 and 9, where you could get you could get a solid coach to come in. You were looking at Marcus Freeman taking you recruiting to a level that would allow you to beat Alabama, not find a way into the playoffs. Now, whether it works out or not, they were still shooting for the they were still shooting high on that. They aimed high in Marcus Freeman in their mind. Doesn't mean they're right, doesn't mean they're wrong, but the, the goal was to augment what Brian Kelly had with a different vision of a coach.
2: Yeah, I and on basketball, I think it's worth noting, like Mike Bray wants to keep coaching. Notre Dame said, Well, it's not going to be at Notre Dame. So yeah. how how much are you settling for mediocrity on that? You're essentially saying we need a reboot here, even when the all time winningest head coach in school history wants to keep coaching.
0: And I they could have needed they needed a re, they probably need a reboot prior. Oh, there's no doubt. I'm not yeah, like, yeah. that probably should have but happened.
1: Not, but years, not you know, five plus. years ago, like a lot of people are claiming. They were not five years ago.
0: No, this this class was supposed to be the reboot. They were all top 100 guys and everything. Right. It was, they, no, were, they were supposed to be fine in a couple of years. And
1: they're not top 100 players, or they haven't been developed into it. I will just say that there's been some, to use the phrase in an earlier question, some smoke about Mike Bray at Georgetown. It's possible. It's definitely possible. So we'll see what happens there. Anything else, guys?
0: No, but I work. think if Mike Bray coaches again, he should coach in the NBA where his offensive mind and uh, ability to teach that side of the ball would be great. And no reward. As an assistant coach. Yeah, but
1: he's not going he, <laughs> to. Too much work. That is way too much. That's way too much work at this stage. Uh, not to Georgetown. <laughs> Georgetown. i think re,
0: i think recruiting to georgetown into that conference will be harder but, than than that
1: then harder harder than yeah. the actual commitment to the
0: nba i don't well you I have to commit to that. the recruitment of players at georgetown if you don't want to go two and 16 i agree, Big East or I agree
1: but that's yeah. not a national search for georgetown for for players that's a regional search that would fit his recruiting. probably more
2: players in washington dc than south Bend. so
1: yeah definitely that works if, That's it today for Irish Illustrated Insider. We uh, appreciate you joining us. We will, uh, our plan is for uh, next week. We will be in March next week. I don't know if there will be an offensive line coach at that point, but we will certainly keep track of it. And we will discuss it next week on Irish Illustrated Insider.